everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pattern Recognition, a show that connects the dots that lead to good business decision making. I'm your host, John Hu, current investor at Norwest Venture Partners and former investment banker at Goldman Sachs. Today, we'll be diving into the concept of a marketplace business model, specifically exploring how one goes about building the next eBay or Amazon as they connect millions of suppliers to millions of customers. Oftentimes, what's so special about a marketplace is the concept that we call network effects which is this idea that as you add more supply and more demand to a marketplace, the value proposition of that marketplace actually increases. So as more potential customers join a marketplace, suppliers have more people to sell to. And as more suppliers sell their products on a marketplace, customers enjoy a wider array of choices. So scale actually begets more scale and ultimately can become the leading competitive advantage for a marketplace where you've generated this virtuous cycle. As you add more customers, you then add more suppliers. And as you add more suppliers, you add more customers, creating this whole flywheel effect. Now, that sounds fantastic and all, but starting a marketplace is much easier said than done, <laughs> which is why I pulled in Andre Haddad, the founder and CEO of Turo, as today's podcast guest. Given Andre's long-standing expertise in building marketplaces, both at Turo as well as his time as SVP of product at eBay, Andre has been through the nail-biting experience of solving the chicken and egg problem of getting your first few customers and suppliers onto a marketplace and then scaling to millions of users over time. So in today's episode, Andre and I will discuss how Turo is disrupting the car rental industry with a cheaper, faster, and more convenient offering, as well as how customer conversion is key to a thriving e-commerce business. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey, Andre, how's it going? Doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure here. I'm excited to be speaking with the guy responsible for enabling many spontaneous weekend road trips across California for me. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for you being such a great user of the platform and we're delighted to be your weekend companion. <laughs> well, look, I've got a pretty broad audience here and, and some may not have yet been exposed to Turo. So would love to start with what is Turo and then also dive into the founding story behind Turo. Sure. In a nutshell, Turo is like Airbnb for cars. As you know, cars are really a big part of our lives, but there are so many out there, almost 300 million in the U.S., a bit over 1.2 billion around the world. And they are idle the vast majority of the time, and they cost people a lot of money. So our dream at Turo is to make as many of these 1.2 billion cars put to better use and to enable every car owner out there to extract some earnings from their vehicle when they're not using it. And uh, we built an app that connects the owner of the vehicle, that's their car, and shares it when they want to share it. They control their calendar, they control their price. And then once those listings are uh, live on the app, we show them to all of our visitors who are looking for a car, like you were saying earlier, to go on a weekend trip. And we're connecting both sides of the marketplace and we're uh, bringing something very unique to the car experience. Unlike the traditional rental car fleets that are very standardized and commoditized, we offer the incredible variety of more than 900 makes and models and incredible value with prices that are on average 35% lower 
than the traditional rental car houses. And that convenience that you were talking about, where you pull up the app and there's a car really near you, there's that special car, maybe not that far as well, and you can get it delivered to you. And you get all that convenience in the app. You don't have to sign up for any other paperwork or any standing in line at an agency or any of the stuff that we unfortunately got used to with the traditional rental car experience. So as a combination of all of these benefits, you know, we've seen a lot of people share their cars on the marketplace. We've reached 300,000 listings a couple of months ago, and we should also end the year with around 10 million users. So we're very excited about the growth of the app and the platform. And our average host is earning around $600 a month sharing their vehicle roughly a third of the time. So we're making a real difference in the economics of car ownership. It's awesome to see how the sharing economy in a marketplace can actually create a consumer proposition that, number one, like you said, is cheaper. Number two, has even wider variety. And then number three, and most excitingly, is significantly more convenient than having to go out of my way to drive to an agency, leave my car there, pick up a different car, then have my car shuttled back to my house. And instead, you know, I can just walk to the nearest parking lot and find a car mm-hmm. on Turo and immediately have mm-hmm. access for the weekend. So that's right. really interesting. I'm curious, though, in creating such a liquid marketplace, you got to start somewhere. And oftentimes mm-hmm. when you just have this app idea, you don't have any cars on your marketplace, so no supply. Mm-hmm. And then you also don't have any users on your marketplace, so no demand. So how do you go about solving this whole chicken and egg problem of creating a liquid marketplace? Wonderful question. You know, this is probably the biggest challenge for any entrepreneur out there or any team of entrepreneurs trying to build a new marketplace business. When we got started back in 2011, we started with an idea and we built a little bit of software to enable the basics. But the software, to your point, isn't the point in a marketplace. You know, the software is only an enabler of supply and demand. And if there's no supply, there's no demand, but there's lots of software, you know, there's no business. So you've got to have from the very beginning, of course, a very strong software orientation, but also a very strong kind of business orientation when you're building a consumer marketplace business. And that business orientation consists of very much from the very beginning, thinking about who on the team is going to be focused on supply growth and who's going to be focused on demand growth. And so it's a template that I think any marketplace business should consider and should implement to leverage whatever software is being built to immediately focus on growth on the supply and on demand and have different people really focus on both. And so in the early days, you know, how to get uh, the word out is, of course, the most challenging task ahead of any team. And, you know, we started without having raised any capital initially. We just started with informing our friends and family (laughs) and leveraging our social networks, you know, doing a lot of the one-to-one pitching, telling people the story of Turo one person at a time and leveraging sort of our collective social networks to tell the story and get it out there. The next phase for us was really to tell the story through the media. So one of our big investments in the early days of the company was to invest in building our PR and communication capabilities. You know, our story is a very interesting story. Before Turo existed, there was no such thing as turning your car in earnings generating asset. So that story we felt was very media worthy and especially that it's a human story you know we can capitalize on the stories of our community that are turning their cars into assets that generate earnings for them and third we really focus on our community there's no one better in a marketplace business to tell your story than your community of users and so we've tried to encourage 
our community of users to tell our stories and we've helped our hosts who listed their cars to sort of advertise a little bit their cars in their networks. And as the marketplace gets bigger, as the community gets bigger, all of these levers become bigger and bigger. And then once, of course, you raise some capital, you start supplementing that with some paid marketing, you start building more features that enable more viral sharing. And then so you go one step at a time, but it is definitely daunting to start a marketplace business with zero users, zero supplies. And just a few weeks ago, we started a new marketplace business at Turo with that same scenario. We launched in, in the United Kingdom in September 2018, so just a couple of months ago. And on day one, we had zero cars. <laughs> so as we launched new geographies, we were confronted with the same kind of challenge at a micro level than the challenge that we were confronted with back in 2011 at a macro level. And Andre, in that scaling, what are some key performance indicators that you focus on in order to gauge the health of the marketplace? I think all marketplaces should focus on conversion. The way we define conversion is we look at the number of visits on the app and we look at the number of trips that have been booked. And so that ratio of conversion of bookings to visits is, I think, the ultimate conversion metric that we follow very closely. We follow it on an aggregate level, obviously, but we also look at it on a market-by-market level. We look at it on a city-by-city, airport-by-airport. So we have a lot of analytics around conversion. And I think conversion is really critical for all marketplace businesses because it's the ultimate indicator of the health of the marketplace. If you're building a marketplace and you're spending a lot of effort and you're driving a lot of supply, driving a lot of demand in terms of visits and in terms of listings, respectively, but you're not seeing conversion, then there's something wrong. It's either that the visits that are coming in are not motivated or the experience is not working, too many barriers, too much friction, or the listings themselves may not be attractive. And you've got to think about what's going on on the supply side. So conversion really is sort of the North Star of every consumer app. And that's on a session-by-session basis. And then, of course, over time, conversion leads to uh, lifetime usage and engagement. So we're very focused on tracking the activation of our hosts and our guests over time, not just over one session. We want to make sure that when we invest and acquire a host or a guest on the platform, they don't just create an account with us and use us just once, but they come back and use us multiple times. And so that KPI of lifetime revenue by host and lifetime revenue by guest is a critical KPI that we look at on a monthly basis and we compare the cohorts of this year versus previous year versus the older years. And we're constantly looking at ways to increase the engagement of our newer cohorts versus the older cohorts. And just to give the audience a sense of scale, what is a healthy conversion rate that a marketplace should be targeting? Is it 2%? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? Well, that's a great question. There's no, I think, magical number. I think there's different conversion rates by type of marketplace. So there isn't a universal number that you should look at. I think what you want to look at is the conversion going in the right direction. Is it increasing? Is it improving? Now, that being said, of course, there are some publicly available information around conversion rates in different verticals. So for example, in e-commerce, when I was at eBay and we were looking at the same metric, of course, it wasn't about book trips, but it was about purchases divided by visits. And uh, in the world of e-commerce, you could see metrics of conversion between 3 and 6%, for example. And you'd rarely see a successful business in the e-commerce space 
that had a conversion rate that was below 3%. And the best performing e-commerce marketplace businesses were in the 6% or even the outliers were even slightly ahead of that. In the travel world, we see uh, also that range, 3 to 6, maybe even 7 to 8%. And so there seemed to be a range and you want to be aspiring to be in that range. But more importantly, if you're building a marketplace company, you want to make sure that you're improving that conversion rate over time. And then what were some specific initiatives that you've seen actually help drive that conversion rate higher? Of course, the number one initiative is just getting more supply, right? When we started with the UK, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of months ago, on day one, we had zero supplies. The conversion rate that day was zero. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> mathematically, it couldn't be anything different. <laughs> we had lots of app downloads. We had lots of visits. We had lots of excitement. People were like, oh, great, Euro is now in the UK, but there were no cars. So there was actually any bookings that day one. And so the lever number one is to continue to grow supply and ensure that there's uh, liquidity in the marketplace. I think step number two is beyond volume of supply, as any marketplace, I think, will attest, quality of supply is really critical. You don't want to have a marketplace that on the surface has a lot of supply. So in the case of Turo, lots of vehicles that are that you can search for, you can find, but then realize that quality of the listings isn't so great. You know, the photos are not so great. The description isn't really great. The price doesn't make sense. The availability isn't actually practical for you because it's only available during certain times and not during the times of your trip. So the quality of the supply is super critical. And I'd say that over the last few years, one of the things that we've been very, very focused on and has been very successful for us is constantly finding ways to improve the quality of our supply by providing real transparency to our car owners that are listing their cars on Turo, providing them with transparency about their performance, showing them how we look at their listing so that they understand where they stand from our perspective. So if you're a host on Turo and you log in, you'll see in your account five key indicators of your performance, including things like your five-star ratings rates, your uh, commitment rates, your response rate and response time, your approval rates, and so forth. And you know every marketplace has its own set of metrics, but I think those were the metrics that we thought were the most important ones for our business. And we've been very clear with our hosts, you need to meet a minimum threshold in terms of quality in order for you to appear in the search results of the marketplace. And of course, if you exceed those thresholds and you're one of our top hosts, you get extra visibility and you get recognition for your amazing performance and being an amazing member of our community of hosts. But if you uh, struggle and you're not able to meet those minimum thresholds, we'll try to help you, help try to coach you, try to give you some pointers. But then if we don't see improvements in the performance, we're going to suspend your listing. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, as you know, the name of this podcast is called Pattern Recognition. I'm curious, what are some, let's say, key patterns or mental models that have helped inform your decision making, not only in building Turo, but also your previous career? Some of the patterns, I think, are around uh, building marketplaces. I've tried to also bring to Turo after many years at eBay and formerly at iBazaar, the company I initially founded in Europe, was focused on removing friction from the experience of the both sides of the marketplace. Step sort of zero is you've got to make it very easy for people to experience your product. And in particular, on the supply side, 
very easy for some people to list whatever they're sharing or selling or opposing as a service and remove any unnecessary friction in the early days of the marketplace, make it super easy and gradually ramp up the friction as the marketplace becomes more liquid and as the marketplace becomes better known and as it starts really generating a lot of value for people who are in the marketplace. And so that's a pattern that I think is an important to note across any marketplace, you know, start with very low barriers for entry and then over time increase those barriers for entry because you're delivering a lot more value as the marketplace has become bigger and you expect more from your newer community members than you'd expect from the very first ones. Andre, I think that's all the time we have today. I really appreciate you taking a time to speak and have loved hearing about your perspective and look forward to continuing to use Turo. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great speaking. You have a good one. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Once again, a big thank you to Andre for joining us today. I had a ton of fun and am actually taking a Turo down to Big Sur this weekend. So if you enjoyed the show, I'd love if you gave me a quick rating and review as well as sent any feedback or guest recommendations my way. You can reach me on Twitter at John Heezy, that's J-O-H-N-H-E-E-Z-Y, or on Instagram at John G. Hu, that's J-O-H-N-G-H-U. So thank you all for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.